Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We learned last week that there's three types of people in the world. Those who have just been through hardships and suffering. Those who are in the middle of hardships and suffering. And those who are about to go through it. Now, I think with that category, have we just about covered most people in the room here this morning? I, th- I think so. I think it would be fair to say that if we've covered most people with those categories this morning, that when we look at this topic of how faith can produce patience or perseverance or endurance, then the next 20-something minutes is really applicable to us. There'll be something for you. And it's something that many people, when we talk about this endurance, about staying, about being... uh, enduring, abiding, when we think about that, we're thinking about a galaxy that many people are reaching out for and they struggle to grasp. I, I think of the example uh, of two characters in the English Reformation called Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. And the story goes that uh, they were both about to be burnt at the stake. And within earshot of everyone, a Latimer tied to the stake, you could overhear him and say, Cheer up, Master Ridley, play the man. For today we shall light a candle that shall never go out in England. And every time I think and hear that story, I, I'm overwhelmed. How the, how the heck can someone have that uh, resolve, that steadfastness? How can they stand in the middle of that? I mean, we, we struggle with our bills. <laughs> we struggle with our boss. We struggle with our businesses. And on one hand, we see Christians like this, living like this, and we we ask, how the heck can that happen? And I think we tap out. We say, they were one of the super Christians. One of the great promises for you this morning is that the words of this passage, what this passage will teach you and say to you, is that that type of life is possible for you this morning. That all of Hebrews was coming towards, we've been just just doing chapter 11, but if you've been doing your homework and reading, you'll see that the whole chapter talks to people who are in hardship and it says, by faith you will endure. You will be people of endurance. And so the, the question is, how do I? How do I, Sam? Like we talked last week, when... Yes, I, I, I hear it that faith starts with thinking in week one. And yes, I heard that, okay, it's tough to hear, but my faith won't grow unless I'm tested. But the question, Sam, is how do, how, how do I stay strong in the testing and how do I stand in the testing? And so the tip this morning is it sounds like I'm answering an answer with the answer. Because <laughs> the answer is don't stop standing. We're going to look at how you do that. But don't stop standing when you are in the middle of trials and, su- and suffering. Don't stop standing firm. In fact, the word there for endurance is the Greek word uh, uh, hypomoneo. Ipomoneo, if you're using the Greek accent. Uh, hypo, it's where we get the word uh, for, the, for meaning uh, underneath or low. And moneo meaning to stand, low standing. What it literally means, it's the imagery of, I'm sure you've probably never done it, but I crossed the Bellingen River once in Coffs Harbour. And as you walk through a rapid river, to hypo stand is to find a rock or something beneath the raging current where you find your footing. And although there's all the resistance of the water, you stand. 
And so Hebrews was getting at that there is a dynamic here where you can hypostand, where you can find a subsurface footing that when all of the tide of life is coming at you and it's tiring and it could sweep you away at any moment, you will remain firm. That's the promise. Don't stop hypostanding is what it really says to us this morning. Uh, Do you have that in your life? I think part of the problem for us is we live in a society that's not resourcing us for hypostanding. Wouldn't you agree? We live in a very flippant society. Uh, We live in a digital society. We live in a society where everything is just get what you want when you want it now. Everything's instantaneous, 3D printing, uh, the whole lot. We live in a world where uh, the minute that you feel like there is a resistance in a decision that you're making, uh, there's one of two mindsets. Either it was the wrong decision or there's something wrong with me, right? Because the minute we, 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 we think we're not supposed to have hardship and suffering. And so I think we're in a world where we're not getting resourced for hypostanding. Uh, there are some generations that are better resourced than others, I call them the baby boomers and above. They're better resourced at hypostanding than the Gen Y, Gen Xs like me. I'm right on the cusp. And I'll tell you how you know the difference in society between the boomers and the Ys, why they're better at doing it. You see, uh, you, when you ask a, a Gen Y what they really love about music, they really love songs. When you ask a baby boomer above what they really love about music, particularly a baby boomer, they love albums. <laughs> right? You baby boomers, you, you would get really excited because you would go to a place called a record store and, and you, would, you would go out and you would meticulously pull it out of the plastic sleeve and place it down and get the stylus across and you'd listen to the crackle as the song introduced, take you about three seconds. That's an eternity for Gen Y and music. <laughs> and you crazy baby boomers, what you would do is that you wouldn't skip through tracks you would listen through the whole album as that stylus made its way all the way to the edge down into the middle. <laughs> and then if you're Gen X, uh, then you had the tape recorder. So if you wanted your favourite song, you would probably do this, Gen X, you would, you would record the radio station for the day <laughs> in the hope that you would get your favourite song. I mean, it's Bob Carlyle, Butterfly Kisses or something like that, you know? It's just wait, wait the whole day you'd, and you'd have to fast forward it. These days, $2.19, buy now, click, enter your iTunes password, done, listen to the song. <laughs> so we live in a society where we're not resourced for hypostanding. That's the first problem. And luckily, that's why we turn to the scriptures, because at least we do have a resource here for hypostanding. One of the resources is we look at the characters of the Bible and we look at what Moses did. What did Moses do? Uh, Moses, first and foremost, he, he endures, he stands in a, a number of crises in his life, which affirms what we're talking about last week. Your faith doesn't grow unless you're tested. He was tested. He, he leaves the court of the Pharaoh. He goes out, he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating an Israelite, and so he kills the Egyptian, buries him. And then he tries to get away. The next day, he sees some Israelites fighting, and he goes and tells them to stop fighting, and they look at him and saying, what, are you going to kill one of us too now? And then he's cornered because he's cornered with a decision where he has, to, he has to make a decision. He could go back to the courts of the Pharaoh and do one of two things, either stand by his principles or sell out to himself. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, if, if he went back to the Pharaoh, to go back to Pharaoh and, and say, look, I, 
I killed, one, I killed one of your people, Pharaoh. We know what the old ancient eastern kings were like. They killed people all the time. Oh, this is part of your royal duty. All right, okay, fair enough. Um, but but if, if, he went, if he went back to Pharaoh and, and said that uh, I, I killed that for the sake of an Israelite slave, Pharaoh would say, hang on, who are you with? Are you with us or the slaves? And so Moses had this situation where if he went back and he lived by his principles, he knew that he would be an outcast. He would be outcast from Pharaoh. He'd be outcast from the Israelite people as well. Or if he sold out to his principles, he could get ahead and continue to succeed in the courts. Now, I'm sure that never happens today. I'm sure it never happens that if you just sell out to your principles that you might get a little bit further ahead in the courts of the king or the corporation. Um, so in that respect, the Bible is really not that relevant to what we're talking about this morning. But here's what Moses does. He hypo stands. He moves out of the, the, the court of the Pharaoh. He goes out into the land of Midian for 40 years, for 40 years, and he's out there tending sheep in the middle of nowhere. Talk about having a patient faith. I mean, we struggle if we're, God's not answering our prayers within 40 days. 40 years, and then God comes to him and says, Moses, I want you now, I'm calling you to go and to confront the biggest military and economic superpower the world has ever seen to date. And not only that, I want you to then go and lead the people that will grumble against you every day of your leadership, and then I want you to take them, and I want you to go and lead them out of slavery from their economic superpower in such a way that, I'm not going to tell you this now, but it's going to require a miracle for that to happen. And Moses gets to the edge of the Red Sea, he puts his staff down, he hypostands, and they're free. Now, how did he become a person of character like that? What we learnt last week is it's, it's through a lot of mistakes, through a lot of going against God's wisdom and then learning the lessons. But what lessons can we learn this morning from how Moses hypostood? Here's the first lesson we learn, Hebrews 11.26. It says that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Here's the first thing that he does. Moses considers what his hardships are producing. He considers what his hardships are producing. It's it's the same imagery of, of when you get an expert jeweler looking at two different gems. Now, what does an expert do? They, they consider, they assess, they look with expert eyes at something that looks rough. You could, you could have a bit of quartz and you could have a rough diamond, but an expert is going to tell you this is worth infinitely more. And so what Moses does is he considers, what is, what is it that my suffering is producing here? And look, this is isometric training, remember? The beginning of the year. An athlete does this. When they take the weight and they bear the weight of the weights upon them and their muscles are burning and their muscles are aching, how do they push through? They say to themselves, what is this doing in me? This suffering is paradoxical. It's, it's hurting me, but at the same time, I, I know, I trust that it's growing me. So the first thing you do when you hit the trials and the hardships and the suffering, you ask yourself, what is this doing to me? What is this producing in me? Now, of course, this principle is all throughout the Bible. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face what? Trials of many kinds, because you know that they are producing 
Wait for the word, hypomaneo. They are producing the sort of character that hypo stands. So that your faith will be what mature and complete. You ask yourself, what is, what is this producing in me? What is this showing me? And so what it means is that a, a Christian embraces hardship, not because they're being stoic, because they want to just endure the pain, nor are, they, nor are they being masochistic and enjoying the pain. But a, a Christian embraces hardship and suffering because they know in that that their suffering is purposed. Lord, it's producing something in me. And you know how it goes. Who here has been in a situation where you've moved through life, you hit a certain hardship in your life, and you look back and you say, you know what, if it weren't for what I went through back then, there's no way that I could face what I'm facing now. Anyone ever been in that situation? Yeah. Why? Because the hardship was producing something. And so the Bible says you need to consider, and often it's not in those moments, it's often in hindsight, you need to consider what the hardship is producing in your life. And the more that you go through that, the more that it reaffirms that process. But there's something that suffering produces, and we see it in the arts, we see it in so many things in life that some of the most beautiful and the greatest things are produced out of suffering, right? Eric Clapton's Haunting song, Tears in Heaven, was produced out of the suffering, of the, of, of the beauty of the song, not through the notes or necessarily the words, but for us as listeners, the knowledge that he was writing about the death of his four-year-old son who'd fallen from his apartment window. There can be, it's possible, we observe that there can be a beauty and a glory and a greatness out of this. And if it is true of the non-spiritual things, oh, how much more true, friends, will it be of the spiritual and a God that has proven it to us through these sorts of examples? So here's the thing. You can't get a fix on the next point, by the way, unless you get point number one right. If you're not considering, then you can't get the second thing that Moses does. And here's the second thing that Moses does. Moses chooses the path of most resistance. The path of most resistance. It it, uh, says here in verse 25, he says, He chose to be mistreated. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated. Now again, remember we said Christians are are not masochists. They don't enjoy the pain and the suffering. So therefore it can't be saying to us that he chooses that because he enjoys pain. What it's saying is that Moses chooses a decision, a pathway that he will stay upon even if it may one day result in pain. See the difference? He chooses to take the pathway that, that may very well end up in hardship, the path of most resistance. <laughs> now, have you ever been in a situation where sticking with God's plan could have lead, led you to disaster? Career disaster? I had a situation where I discovered fraud at the company that I was working for as a young accountant. And the choice was, in the thousands of transactions that we were processing at the time, do we just let it slip? Or do we mention it to the superiors? What I'm finding more and more through my own life, through the Bible, that the big battles, the big battles are not spotlight battles 
They're not platform battles. They're not stage battles. The big battles in life are the ones that are unseen, right? Those moments where you're off by yourself. Those moments where no one else is watching. And what the Bible is constantly saying is that how you respond, the decisions that you make in those unseen, quiet, back corner moments are the sorts of decisions that will shape you into the sort of person you will become a billion years from now. And so our great challenge is that what do we do when we're in those situations? And often, isn't it the case when no one's watching, what do we want to do? We want to run. We want the path of least resistance. And yet it says here that Moses chose the path of most resistance. And the path of, on the other side of things, what's the path of least resistance? The most, path of least resistance is, is, is cutting and running to what you want now. Cutting and running to your agenda, the way that you think God should be turning up in your life now, the way that that moment where you're so frustrated that God has not answered your prayers, you get to that breaking point in which you say, I've had enough of obeying him. It makes no sense. It's too hurtful. It's too painful. I'm just going to do it anyway. And the Bible says, don't do that. Because it's going to shape you into something, we'll get to this, that it's not God's plan for your life. To use the psychology of it, there was a great experiment back in the late uh, 70s called the Marshmallow Experiment by a Stanford professor called Michelle. Marshmallow Experiment was that they got, they got uh, little kids and they said to them, put them in a room and said, you can either have one marshmallow now, you can eat it now, or you can wait for 15 minutes and you can have two marshmallows. And so they did this with a whole range of kids and they studied them 40 years later and they, they found that the kids that were able to wait for the second marshmallow often were the ones who had the greater levels of success in life. And they proved a psychological phenomenon called the power of delayed gratification. Sounds like you know what it is. And here's, here's what it means for us. What if the decision in front of you now, the thing that feels like it's right to do, the thing that you want to do, is just one marshmallow's worth? And the Lord says, if you hold out, if you, if you do this, there's going to be something greater for you. Now, it's not necessarily material. In fact, it's probably far deeper, more important as we assess what it is. It's to do with your character. See, God is always organic. God is always stripping things from you that are undermining his plans for who he wants you to be, become. He's always organic. He's always stripping the things that could undermine his plans for you. In other words, to do the thing that feels easy in the past of least resistance, it might feel like that you're an averting a disaster, but it actually leads to a much greater disaster down the track. I remember hearing a story of a of a criminal and when he was in jail someone asked him how it all happened and he traced it all the way back to the time in which he remembered that he stole his father's watch from his drawer and at that moment he decided to lie about it and then the lies led to more destructive behavior that then led to stealing that then led to the life that he had that led to prison what is that it's a non-spotlight moment (laughs) it's a no one's watching moment and friend, the dynamic here is we, we think that to, to satisfy what we want now is going to solve the issue and yet God's plans and God's desires for us in his word is to say if you hold off on this now, it's not so much that I'm going to reward you with big money down the track. More importantly, I'm going to turn you into the sort of person that won't 
be characterized by self-destruction. The power of delayed gratification. Uh, don't you hate it when your parents are right in the end? And so I, know, I, I was never allowed to eat my kebab down at Manly, was I, Dad? I was never allowed to have a bite of my kebab at Manly until we'd walked all the way down the Corso from the kebab shop and sat on the beach and unwrapped the thing and all the kids are sat and ready for dinner and then we could eat my kebab. So, but then I don't get it right either, do I, hun? Because I've got this weird habit now where I have to take a bite out of my dinner before I get to the dinner table. So I'm not saying that I've got all this down pat, but the principle's right. Now, by the way... I, Delayed gratification, um, it's, it's, half, it's half right. Uh, that if you hold off on this desire, then it's going to work out better for you in the long run. It's half right, because if you just try and apply your will to this at this stage, it's not going to work. And there's a, a, another psychologist uh, who said that, uh, in other words, the, the most effective ways to distract ourselves from attempting pleasure we don't want to indulge is by focusing on another pleasure. So the next time you find yourself confronted with a temptation, whether it be a piece of cake, drink of alcohol, or a psychoactive drug, don't employ willpower to resist it. Send your attention somewhere else by imagining a different pleasure not immediately available to you. What he was getting at was follow-up studies with the marshmallow test is that uh, they actually were able to help the kids wait longer by not getting them to just sit in the room by themselves, but they said to them, look, if you wait... While you're waiting, think about a nice juicy pretzel. <laughs> and they were able to, to wait almost doubly as long for either a pretzel or a marshmallow to come along. Now, you think, what's, what's the point? What do you, get back to the Bible, Sam. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 11.27. I love it when the Bible matches the psychology. By faith, Moses leaves Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered, he hypermaneoed, he hyperstood because... He saw him who was invisible. It says he looked ahead. He shifted his focus to he who was invisible. Moses just didn't apply a willpower here. He looked ahead. He looked ahead and he saw he who was invisible. The Greek better translates it as he he left Egypt because he was constantly seeing the invisible. In other words, there was a dynamic that as he was in the middle of his hardship, he was constantly asking, God, what are you up to? Where are you working? What are you doing? Lord, give me a glimpse, please, of what you're up to. Show me your wisdom. And so... He constantly was putting forth that spiritual dynamic. But there was even something deeper in that. It says he looked forward to what God was doing. And he saw the wisdom of God. He looked forward to what God was doing in the nation of Israel. But you know, we've got something more powerful than Moses today. Because when we look forward, we look forward to a character that's sort of like Moses, right? We look at a character that that went to the great pharaohs of the world, not, not a king of, of wealth and of, of power, but goes to the king of death and says, let my people go. We see the ultimate Moses who comes in, he says, I will lead my people into a new exodus, into a new freedom, not just of land, but of spiritual freedom and of life. We look to an ultimate Moses who just didn't endure for a little bit, But it says in Hebrews 12, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Look, what it does in the person of Jesus Christ is here we see someone who faced trials, who faced hardships, who had immense suffering in his life, 
and he hypomaneoed. <laughs> he stood. He just kept standing. That's where we get our resource from this morning as Christians. What we do is we see that as Dorothy Sayers once said, at least in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we see that God comes down and has the gumption to swallow his own medicine. That's great comfort if you're looking in at Christianity this morning. What's your God do? He swallowed suffering. He felt it. He experienced it. But some of you this morning are saying, you haven't answered the question, Sam. You know, what, do, what do I do? What do I do if I just don't feel like standing? What do I do if I feel like I've got nothing left? What do I feel if I'm just so upset and angry and pained at the fact that I can't see a reason for why this hardship and suffering is in my life at the moment? And my answer to that is just because you can't see a reason for the hardship in your life at the moment doesn't mean that there isn't one. Think of the logic of it all. I just because I, I, in my finite brain, and I mean, I, d- I don't even know half the university courses at Sydney University yet, but in my finite brain, I can't find a reason for, for the things that are happening in my life and the circumstances, and so therefore there should be no God because I can't find a reason. It makes no sense. We learnt last week that this, this God is bringing all of these things into your life, not to crush you, but to grow you. And how do, you, how do you know that? It says in Hebrews chapter 12, at, at verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? But if you're not disciplined and everyone else uh, undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate children at all. It's saying you're not you're his kids if this has not happened to you at some point in your Christian life. And you're thinking, what sort of dad does that? It's a sort of dad like... My dad, as he tells the story of when I rolled down the driveway, I smashed my head against a rock at the end of the driveway and I split my eye open. And so he had to take me to the doctor and he sits me down at the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, it's going to need a couple of stitches here. And the doctor says, all right, well, we give little young Sam, toddler Sam, the anaesthetic. And the doc says, well, look, by the time we do the stitches, the anaesthetic's going to hurt as much as doing the stitches themselves. And so dad tells the story of how he had to pick me up and, and hold me down on the doctor's table as the, the doctor pulled out the sharp hook and held it over my forehead and then began to stitch my eye up without an anaesthetic. And the way in that, in that, that moment that, that I was looking at him, screaming at him with my eyes saying, Dad, Dad what, are, what are you doing to me? But if I had, if I had only known the wisdom of the Father... If I only had the mental capacity to understand that, dear child, I know that this hurts you now, but I'm saving you from a much deeper pain. Friend, I want to encourage you this morning that it's one thing the gap between a three-year-old and a 33-year-old father. The gap between us and our heavenly father is infinite in scope. And it's infinite in wisdom. And yes, you may be hurting this morning. And maybe you yourself are looking at him and saying, Lord, what, Father, why are you putting me through this? Why are you doing this to me? But if we, if we can only, we can't, we, can't, we can't know his reasons. We, we can't know the specifics of it. But the one thing that you can know this morning is his love. And when you know his love, you can move into his trust. 
And you can trust a, a father that says to you this morning, child, if you are hurting, yes, I know it hurts, but I'm doing all I can to save you from a much greater pain. So just stay, just hypostand, endure. Let's pray. Lord, there will be some here this morning that it is too confusing, too painful. There are some here this morning that are on that bed as a, as a young child and they scream to you and they don't understand reasons why. I can only hope and pray that by your Holy Spirit right now you are ministering to them. Not even through words, not even through thoughts, but through a sense of your presence as they feel uh, the pressure of staying in that spot. Heavenly Father, I'm just praying for them this morning, that imagery, that it is a, a fatherly pressure, that the hands of the Father are squarely upon their shoulders this morning. That in an almost ununderstandable way this morning, Father, they would feel through your Holy Spirit a sense of your presence. And most of all, able to move into a trust of the love uh, that you have for them. Minister to them in that way, I pray. Father, I pray for us as a church. I pray that we're not going to be flaky people. I'm praying for, for people that are going to walk out into decisions this week. I'm praying for the people that are going to walk into those shadow moments, which they know that they know, that no one's going to be watching this week. Well, no one except for you, Father God. And that it's going to be in the hidden and the unseen that you're going to be shaping this church as we become a people who choose the path of most resistance. I just pray that as we do that, Father, you would give us a glimpse of the way that you are at work in our lives. And the only way that we're ever going to know is that, Father, I pray that in due course we're going to see glimpses of this in the lives of the people around us. We're going to see friends and we're going to see family in this place at Northside as, as many are going through deep trials and challenges as we've seen many go through cancer, heart operations. We think of Pat Jones at Macquarie Hospital right now who continues to battle through a whole range of stuff. Uh, Father God, uh, we just pray that as we uh, witness these amazing people around us that, uh, that we would see that in them. And then maybe, just maybe, if you put us through something, Father, that we would be people that hypo stand and we would be a witness, an example, a shining light, a candle in the city of Sydney that shall never be put out. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.